Years ago, sometimes when I'd do a wedding, I would talk with the people ahead of time who were getting married. <clears throat> I would tell them that, that they have a great enemy to their marriage, their tongues. <laughs> we often say things that are ill-advised. We often say things we wish we could pull back. But as I've said before, it's been said that neither a stone nor a word can be taken back. Today we'd like to think about tongue control. In the book of James, we find several themes that seem to run here and there throughout. One is the subject of wisdom, something we all need. Wisdom to live our lives aright. Wisdom to know how to deal with adversity. Another important thing is faith. We talked about that very much last Sunday. Apparently James was concerned about people who said they had faith, but it didn't show out in their lives. And so three times he basically said in the last part of chapter 2, faith without works is dead. So he was encouraging them to have a living faith, the kind of faith that produced a vital change in our lives and our thinking, the kind of faith that produced good works and helpfulness. Also in the book of James, there is the theme running throughout somewhat of the rich and the poor. And we find that, of course, in the world today. There are those who have a lot. There are those who have very little. We should be impartial toward fellow Christians. We should care for all. And it speaks of the poor who are rich in faith. That's what really counts. Life does not consist of the abundance of the things which we own. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Another thing that's very important in the book of James, which we want to concentrate on today, is the tongue. <laughs> that thing that can so often get us into big troubles. That thing that can be used for good or can be used for bad. And so we come to chapter 3 of the book of James. Starts like this. <clears throat> My brothers, and of course it means sisters too, do not be many teachers or masters, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation or judgment, because in many things we all offend if any man does not offend in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. <laughs> One of the gifts God gives to his church is teachers. Go with me back, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4, we find in verses 11 and 12, he gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, 
and some pastors and teachers. A special gift to certain ones to be teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, that's why. For the work of the service or ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for building up God's people. So God has appointed some to be teachers, teachers of truth. Verse 14, later on, we see there are some that lie, but these God-given teachers are tell the truth about God's wonderful truths. There's a great judgment on us all, and especially on teachers, it tells us here. You see, it's a great responsibility to be a teacher of God's word. And it basically tells us that even teachers once in a while stumble just a little bit. They'll be held accountable, it indicates here. So it warns them, don't a whole bunch of you be teachers. Important thing is, I believe, to see if God has given you the gift of being a special teacher. And if so, even though you may stumble at a point or two, do the best you can with God's help. God gave us his word, and it's the Holy Spirit can help us understand it. See the last two verses of Second Peter, chapter 1. And so God has given a gift to the church of, of teachers. But we read in the Bible about false teachers. Now, they're going to really be held accountable, are they not? Let's go over to Second Peter. We find in chapter 2, the first two verses. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And so we are to know that there are false prophets, false teachers out there as well as the good ones. And we have a neighbor that June invited her to have a copy of her Bible studies, but she didn't want it. She said she just wanted to study the Bible. Apparently she didn't want to be possibly misled. But you know, if God gave the church teachers, I guess <laughs> he meant for people to listen to those teachers. But also, as Paul said in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, he said, prove all things. So even if you're listening to a God-given teacher, even Paul himself, he said, check everything out. <laughs> Ultimately, we are responsible what we receive and what we believe. And so even the apostle Paul said, check me out. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 
And so we find here at the beginning of Tongue Control, chapter 3, this issue of God-given teachers in our responsibility concerning these things. Now going back to James, chapter 3, we continue on into verse 3. Look, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Now most horses are pretty good size, aren't they? And you put this little old bit in the mouth, and with the reins and all, you, you can guide them. Help them know which way to go. Having been raised on a citrus ranch, we also had some horses, a couple of horses. Tom, the brown one, and Jerry, the white one. And sometimes I would help put the harness and things on them. And yes, they had bits in their mouths so we could guide them. Look also, verse 4, the ships. And although they be big, yet they're driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm or rudder, wherever the governor lists, wherever the person guides it. Even so, the tongue is a little member. It's a small thing in our body, isn't it? But it boasts great things, big things. So there are two illustrations here. Something little that produces big results. And then it gives a third one along the same line, doesn't it? Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. You can take one match and start a forest fire. And we know a little about fires in the last few years, don't we? Consider what happened with the campfire, the Paradise Fire. Consider what happened with the Caldor Fire, starting in Grizzly Flat. I wish somebody would contact the stations and help them realize it's not Grizzly Flats. It's not plural, it's called Grizzly Flat. <laughs> At any rate, the Caldor Fire started there. I think Caldor was a lumber company that used to operate in that area. At any rate, consider the great destruction that that one little fire started. One of, the, one of the biggest fires California's had. And so it takes these three things, and it says that's the way the tongue is. <laughs> it's small, but it can produce enormous results. And so this kind of tells us, doesn't it? We need to control our speech, our tongue. But we, on the downside, learn that nobody does it perfectly. <laughs> Even God-appointed teachers occasionally may stumble a little. We need God's help, do we not? We think about the past where we have failed and we've said things which we shouldn't and done other things that were wrong. But here's a thought. Let us never allow the past failures and sins cripple us in the present walk with Christ. Don't be held back 
things you've done wrong earlier. Trust God and go forward, living for him in the present, asking him to give you victory over the things you say, over the tongue. And it goes on then, 3.6, James. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. <laughs> That's quite a description, isn't it? So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. <laughs> That's quite an enlightening description, is it not? Because every kind of animals, beasts, creatures, and of birds and of snakes and of things in the sea, it is tamed, they are tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind. And you look around, yes, there have been a lot of taming of, of creatures, horses, cows, <laughs> I guess some in India even train snakes. Different creatures can be trained. But, verse 8, the tongue, nobody can tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> Again, a very frightening and interesting descriptions of the tongue. Yes, it can be a big enemy to marriage and a big enemy to church unity and a big enemy to society. It needs to be brought under control. We need God's help. Do we not in what is being said and what is not being said? Therewith we bless God, the Father. Therewith we curse men who are made after the similitude or likeness of God. So it shows how inconsistent we are, using it for good, using it for bad. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. You see, that shows that we're misusing the tongue. The inconsistency shows how we do not have control over the tongue. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now he goes on with some more inconsistent description. Does a fountain or a spring send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? No, normally it's one or the other, isn't it? On our citrus ranch years ago, my grandfather discovered there was a problem with orange trees that he had planted. Finally, he discovered the reason was he was using a well that had some salt water in it. And that was not good for the orange trees. And so he stopped using that well. All I remembered of it is basically a concrete base there, the floor, and a big thing that they had a piece of wood stuck in, but I could drop little stones in there and hear them go down and then splash in the water down there. But that was a well that was not being used because it had salt, and that was not good. So here it's talking about a spring or a well. It can't be both good and bad water. It's one or the other. Verse 12, can the fig tree 
my brothers, produce olive berries. <laughs> What's the answer to that? Certainly not. Fig produces figs, doesn't it? Either a vine, figs. Can a grapevine produce figs? <laughs> no, it produces grapes. But consider this inconsistency of the tongue. So it shows that it is something that needs to be controlled, something that cannot be tamed. So no fountain can yield both salt water and fresh. And so it's quite a section here on the tongue, is it not? A warning to us, an encouragement to us to commit our tongues to God, commit to God the things that we say. Heart of a righteous man studies before he answers, tells us in Proverbs. We ought to think what we're going to say before we say it. And if it's not advisable to say it, we ought to be still and not say it at all. On the other hand, as we've considered, if it's consistent with wisdom and love, then we should speak out. And so that really deals very, very strongly, does it not, with the use of the tongue. Evidently, James was aware of problems in the fellowship and among God's people where there were a lot of confusion and problems. And he was pointing the fact out that they needed to be careful how they talked to each other. And this issue of wisdom, here he brings that in again here. Remember in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if we lack wisdom to ask God, and he'll give it to us. Ask in faith. And here he's talking about wisdom again. 3.13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good behavior his works with meekness of wisdom. We're not to brag about wisdom that we may have. We're to be meek. We're to have humility in all these things, which is also one of the great things in the book of James, this issue of humility. Show his works with meekness of wisdom. So that would be a positive thing, wouldn't it? But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... Do not glory and do not lie against the truth. There's that phrase again, do not lie against the truth. So bitter envying and strife and confusion belies the thought that you're so great and that I'm so great because we misuse the tongue sometimes. We need God's help to control it. I think one of the songs that was chosen today, especially would deal with that. This wisdom, verse 15, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. There is confusion in every evil work. One of the reasons confusion arises concerning this wisdom that is from below is explained in Proverbs 
it helps us realize there that it arises out of pride. And so that was the great sin of the devil, was it not? Proud. He was proud and wanted to be like God and take God's place. So pride is a thing we must fight. And we must have control of the tongue as we seek to conquer pride in our lives. I understand some ministers were meeting once and one of us confessing to the others that his great sin was pride. One of the other ministers told him, you don't have anything to be proud about. <laughs> so maybe that helped him <laughs> in conquering the pride that he had. <laughs> but where envying and strife is, where you have all this confusion and fussing and bickering and arguing and disputing and yelling at each other, which hopefully none of that ever happens here, <laughs> we find that pride is, is a great instigator in the things that come from within us as we see in chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. But, verse 17, 317, the wisdom that is from above, that's what we want, isn't it? What's it like? Well, it's first of all, it's pure. It's united in a good way. Then it's peaceable. <laughs> It strives to have peace among God's people in love. It's not intent on having its own way, you see. It's gentle. Along with that, of course, would go kindness. We speak with kindness. The model woman back in Proverbs 31, that's one thing she does. She uses her tongue with kindness. Easy to be entreated. What's that mean? means teachable. We're easy to be approached. If out of love somebody points out an area in which we ought to improve, instead of getting offended and not liking that person, we realize it's a blessing that they cared enough to share with us. Easy to be entreated. You see, the wisdom that comes from God, it's teachable doesn't mean it's gullible. As we said earlier, we've got to check out all things, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. But to begin with, you see, there's a teachable attitude, full of mercy. When the Bible speaks of mercy, what it's really talking about? Well, there's God's mercy to us, but it's often talking about our mercy to people. One of the songs dealt with Micah 6.8, talks about mercy us helping other people. And so you see the wisdom that is from above, it encourages us to help people, to be merciful toward them. And good fruits. I think too of Gen uh, the book of Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Without partiality, we talked about that, didn't we? First part of chapter two especially. And without hypocrisy, what's hypocrisy? Pretending to be something you aren't. Pulling the wool over others' eyes in a false way. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them who make peace. Ends in a beautiful thing. And what a contrast there is here between 
wisdom that comes from above, which is the things we have read about, and wisdom that comes from below, which is very different, which brings confusion, hatred, and other vile things. One other thing before we finish here with the study. Notice in verse 9, back in 3.9 of James, Therewith we bless God the Father, therewith with our tongues we curse men who are made after the similitude or likeness of God. The likeness of God. So we're made in the likeness of God, it tells us. It reaffirms this here in the New Testament. Earlier it talked about in the book of Genesis, didn't it? Chapter 1, verse 27, we're made in God's image. Even those who are depraved, they have been made in God's image. But there's a problem, too, that's entered in. In Genesis 5, verse 3, it's talking about Adam. And he fathered a son who was made after his image. Well, yes, Adam had been made in the likeness and the image of God, as we saw. But now it makes a point of saying that his son was made after his image. Well, what had happened to that image of God or what came alongside it? A fallen nature. God had warned them if they ate what was forbidden, dying they would die. And so when they took the fruit and disobeyed God, they died spiritually right then. That was seen in what happened later. But eventually, their physical bodies, many, many years later, would also pass away. And so, yes, we're in the image of God, but we're also in the image of Adam. <laughs> we have a fallen nature. So I wanted to point that out. And so we need to fight against that fallen nature. We need to use our tongues aright, peacefully, in a merciful, kind way, and gentle way, in a way that agrees with the word of God, in a way that pleases and honors the Lord Jesus. Now today we want to remember what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. It was at the Last Supper he explained that he was instituting a new agreement. This is the New Testament in my blood, he said which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Do this in memory of me. And it's through that New Testament, that new will, that new covenant, that we receive strength and help from God to control our lives, including our tongues. That's a great blessing, is it not? And so important is his death on the cross that he left us what we call communion a time where we picture the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Sinless Son of God died for us who have a fallen nature. It's so important that we remember this and keep it in mind as we live our lives. First of all, may we 
have a time of self-examination, for this is something that is to be done reverently and before God and in surrender to him and faith. May we bow together for a moment of silent introspection. <laughs>